Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. It may be that by this stage of lockdown, even though we are beginning to move out of it slowly, it may be by this stage that if you're a reader at all, you've exhausted your collection of paperbacks um, or books that you had on the shelf that you always meant to read but never had the time to do so. And with the library still being shut and with bookshops not open yet, certainly at least in Scotland, um, your stock of readable resources may well be running out. If that's the case, can I encourage you to get your Bibles out? I hope you've been doing that anyway over this period. But particularly to start reading through the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, as it's known in our Bible. But in many ways, it's often been described as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's a book that has no ending. If you know the story, it begins with the day of Pentecost. We made reference to that um, just a couple of weeks ago. And it ends really a kind of cliffhanger. It ends with Paul in prison in Rome. It doesn't tell us the rest of the story. Church fathers from um, a later period tell us what happened to Paul and to other people. But it, the book of Acts doesn't have a neat ending. That's because in many ways, it's not just the book of the Acts of the Apostles is the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in many ways, that's how it should really be understood. Yes, the apostles, those men who were called by Jesus, um, who confronted the risen Christ, who had a personal encounter with Jesus, those men were set apart and anointed by the Spirit at the day of Pentecost, or in the case of Paul later on, on the road to Damascus, but they were set apart by the Spirit of God to lay that foundation for the church. But the story of the church, the story of God's Spirit working in and through his people, in and through our world, that story continues. The book of Acts, in a sense, will only end when Jesus Christ returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. And so in many ways, we are living in the story and in the time span and the timeline of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But it's always good to begin with a beginning. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, we made reference to the story of the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God came upon the apostles. We read that when they and others were gathered in the upper room in one place, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest in each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Here were these disciples gathered together in that upper room and God's Spirit broke through and broke into lives. Lives that in many ways are similar lives to our own. Yes, the, the geographical and environmental and technical circumstances are very different, but at the end of the day, human beings are human beings, whatever the time and age of history may be. And God's Spirit broke into those lives, set them apart, empowered them and renewed them and enabled them to begin that public ministry of proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. And we saw what happened at the day of Pentecost and of those who heard that gospel and who were moved by the Spirit and believed. We read that Peter continued to proclaim to them and to call them to repent and to be baptized. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And the story continues, so I can encourage you in your Bibles to turn to Acts chapter 3. Um, because it wasn't just what happened at Pentecost that's important, it's what flowed from that, the, the Spirit of God. 
like the river of life that we made reference to a few weeks ago, flows out and it has tributaries and it begins to impact on, on the land and the spiritual land and the spiritual geography of Israel and then to Samaria and then to the very ends of the earth as Jesus had told, told would happen. And so we read in the book of Acts chapter 3 and let's, let's pick up the story from Acts chapter 3 and verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And we'll pause there. Now we can read this story. And of course, names like Peter and John are familiar to us. Two of the closest group of disciples that Jesus had. Peter, James and John were those who were where Jesus up in the mountain transfiguration. There were those who were with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Although only John was with Jesus, so the gospel writers tell us, while Jesus hung on the cross. The rest of the disciples, were told, were locked into that upper room for fear of the Jews. But we know their names. And we also know something of their character. Peter was the one who was bold and brash and loud, and probably a big hairy fisherman, and liked to be seen and heard and made great proclamations of his faith. No way, Jesus, are you going to Jerusalem? No way, Jesus, am I going to let you down? And yet, of course, the gospel writers tell us, and Peter would have passed on the story. He was, he was not ashamed. He was not um, unwilling to pass on the story about his own blatant failure. The Peter who made much publicly about his desire to follow Jesus was the Peter who sat in that courtyard round that fire and denied his Lord three times. John is different. We don't hear in some ways so much, although the gospel writers tell us that it's John that was sitting beside Jesus as they gathered round that first and for Jesus, oh, the last, last supper in that upper room. John was the one who stood with Mary at the foot of the cross and Jesus on the cross invoked John and called upon John to be, in a sense, a you son to Mary, given a special responsibility to care for the mother of our Lord. And it's John here that's going with Peter to the temple. Different personality. John's gospel and John's letters give us an insight not only to Jesus, but to the John who loved Jesus. We're told that Jesus referred to John as the disciple whom he loved, and John loved him and was very close to him. John was far quieter, more reflective, more thoughtful, perhaps more philosophical. And of course, John is the one who, the last of the apostles who lived to his old age, he was kept in imprisonment in the island of Patmos. He perhaps died in his own bed. We're not too sure what happened to him, but certainly in his old age, continually referred and reminded his readers to his letters that Jesus is the one who commanded us to love one another. Two men, two very different stories, and to be honest, two men who probably, humanly speaking, wouldn't have had much to do with each other. One was a fisherman. Another one was perhaps more academic, to use that word. Don't mean he was in a university or college, but perhaps more thoughtful and reflective. 
different personalities, different backgrounds, different callings in many ways, and yet two men who were brought together. And how are they brought together? Well, they're going up to the temple at the time of prayer. They're going to worship. They're going to spend time in God's presence. We recognize, of course, that the creator of heaven and earth is everywhere. God can be met with in the garden, or on the top of the mountain, or indeed in the deepest sea, sea or indeed on, on, the, on the, the planet of moon, or wherever, in the whole universe, God can be met. But there are places and there are times set aside for specific worship, for focusing upon God. And Peter and John are going to the temple. Notice the time at three in the afternoon. Again, we could read that and just think much, much about it. But three in the afternoon is very significant. Can I read to you again from Luke's Gospel? The Luke who wrote the book of Acts writes this in Luke chapter 23. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining. And then we're told that as three in the afternoon came along, as the time came along, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. That great final act of the story of Jesus on the cross took place at three in the afternoon. This is a special time. This is a special message that the God who in Christ reconciled the world to himself and the temple curtain being torn in two speaks of the possibility for human beings to have a new access to a holy God no longer separated but now brought near by whom? By Jesus who on that cross tears open that temple curtain, that temple curtain of division. This Jesus is the one who brings very different people radically different people, together in worship of him. Peter and John going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. And surely, my friends, in these days when there is great division within our society, there is that powerful witness to the power of Jesus our great peacemaker, the one who breaks down the dividing walls of hostility between fallen human beings and a holy God, but also between human beings, many of which would have very little to do with each other and are radically different, how in such a divided society the power of the gospel and the wonder of Jesus is that he brings people together. In the paper today, just in the Times for Saturday, there's a major two-page, major article right in the centre of the paper, big enough for everybody to see. The culture wars that threaten to tear our nation in two. The culture wars that threaten to tear our nation in two. We're living in very divisive times. All sorts of things, as I made reference to last week, can cause division. This virus itself has caused division. I've often referred to, perhaps in a way I'm more aware of than perhaps others of you, even within our own congregation, between those who would be very religious in their dedication to following through the regulations concerning COVID-19 and others of us who would perhaps be more liberal in their approach. Um, Age-wise, background-wise, personality-wise, divisions have appeared. They're already there, but they've appeared. And this virus, not just a physical virus, but a virus of fear, recrimination, impatience, paranoia, <laughs> the list could continue of what this virus has stirred up. These things could cause not only division in the world, but division within the church, the church of Jesus Christ. Peter and John were together. 
going up to worship in God's house at God's time, three in the afternoon. How a powerful time that is, that as Jesus brought these two men together in a common worship and service of him as Lord, so the same Jesus who on that cross cried out, it is finished, brings to us that finished work of reconciliation that in these challenging days can draw together rather than divide. That in itself is a sermon worth reflecting upon and thinking about. And look what happens. They go up to this temple gate called Beautiful and there's a man there who's begging. That wouldn't be a particularly unusual thing. There were plenty of beggars. There was no NHS. There was no social security. There was no provision. This is a man who's been, who's been crippled since birth, we're told. And so his whole life had been lived, impacted by some congenital disease or problem that occurred when he was born. We don't know the story behind that. But this man's life has been crippled and deformed by, by whatever all those years, in many ways, wasted. And he's used to waiting at the temple courts, we're told, that they asked for money. And when Peter and John looked at him, the man looked at him, expecting to get something from them. He was used, in a sense, to be dependent. He probably was brought by family members or friends to the gate in order to beg. It may even have been the case, as unfortunately happens nowadays, that some of these so-called beggars on the street were actually being under the control of other people who unscrupulously used these poor souls as a way of getting money for themselves. We don't know about that. But he certainly was a needy soul, physically in need, but in needs in so many other ways, emotionally and spiritually. Crippled, a life deformed. And look what happens. Verse 6, Peter says to him, to this man, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and they went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. That man got more than he bargained for that day. He was looking for money. What he got was a new life. He got physical healing, taking him by the right hand. The disciples helped him up and instantly told the man's feet and ankles became strong. This story, of course, is meant to remind us and recall us of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus had told the disciples that they would go and they would exercise in his name his ministry, and in fact, in a way, in a wider audience, in a wider part of, of, of the circumstances, in a way that Jesus' ministry, in a sense, had been localized. And, and so here were the disciples carrying out their apostolic role. Here they were demonstrating that Jesus, the risen Christ, was in many ways still very much alive, that by the power of the Spirit, Jesus was still at work in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Peter and John says, walk. And that reminds us of the story of the paralyzed man brought down through the ceiling to, to, to meet with Jesus, the, the story in Mark's gospel. And remember, Jesus commanded the man to take up his mat and walk, but also told the man that his sins were forgiven. The story of the gospels, full of those specific ministries of Jesus, where people's lives were healed, where people physically had their circumstances were changed, are intimately linked with the gospels telling us about who this Jesus is, 
The one who is, as the Peter verse to later on, is the author of life and the holy and righteous one. Jesus makes a difference. You life he brings, sight to the blind. Now again, that's not you to most of us probably listening to that, this video, this whether it's on Zoom or on YouTube or, or whatever. We are probably familiar. We read these names, Peter and John, and oh yes, that's Peter and John. We read the time, three o'clock in the afternoon. So what? He's going, they're going to the temple. We read the story, and we read the disciples being used by God to bring healing. And, and we can think, oh, well, that's nice. But we can so easily lose sight of how tremendous that is. We must never underestimate the power of the gospel and the impact to make life's you to change circumstances and to transform and bring new beginnings. And how vital that is in these present days. Our government, we're told, or at least the Bank of England, is printing money, not in the old-fashioned way of through printing presses, but electronically printing money, billions of pounds, electronically creating bonds that give the money, the government, the resources to be able to attend to the various needs. And daily I hear in the news of the radio, and daily in the paper, I read of demands from this group or that group who, crippled by what's happened with COVID-19, are looking for money. Uh, some sort of pot that's never going to run dry. Well, of course, that's not the case. That is not the case. Debt is massively increasing. The economic strains are becoming more and more evident. As lockdown is loosened, more will be revealed of its impact on people's social well-being and their mental state. And even as a pastor, I can see how it's impacting on different members of our church family in different ways. And no amount of bailouts from the government can attend to that. There needs to be that personal touch they take him by the right hand. They help him up. There needs to be that tangible means of communicating and sharing and channeling the very grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the help and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And yes, that can be done through listening to talks like this on the internet or by Zoom. That can be done through reading a book. And, and through hearing the story of someone else's experience of God's grace, that can be done as we listen to music. That can be done in a whole host of different ways, and I'm not taking anything away from that. But ultimately, the best channel of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is by literally that personal touch. Whether we can do too much of that touching at the moment, well, that's open to debate, but certainly through personal communication, through personal relationships, through ministering to people where they are, that is a beautiful and precious thing. This beautiful gate was the geographical setting for a beautiful thing, a man's life healed, hope restored, a new beginning experienced, and that is is the same need today for men and women within our society. Money may have its place. Social circumstances do have their impact. But ultimately, the power of God alone can bring a fresh and new start. 
And that's because of who Jesus is. As we draw to a close, there's much more to be said, but we'll do that in a reflection another time. Can I read to you the words of a chorus? It's probably not one that we would sing so much today, because it's probably not so well known. It's from the Mission Praise. But here are the words. Speaking of Jesus, here are the words. You are beautiful beyond description, too marvellous for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depth of your love? You are beautiful beyond description. Majesty enthroned above. And I stand, I stand in awe of you, I stand, I stand in awe of you, holy God, to whom all praise is due, I stand in awe of you. This man, we can see, had a new beginning. What did he do? He went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What an impact where the power of God is released. Yes, physically, the man was healed, but far more significantly, he was transformed within. He had a new love for God. He had a desire to worship him. He wanted for other people to to be able to hear and to see the amazing things God had done for him. How we need that fresh, vigorous, vibrant, transformed testimony to God's grace in our sin-sick society today. And so let's pray that even this coming week, through our words, and yes, perhaps through our personal contact, I'm not suggesting we should break any of the government regulations, but you know what I mean, that through our personal contact, we may be channels of that wonderful and beautiful grace of Jesus. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you that as we read this book of Acts, we read amazing stories that stir our spirit. And I do pray that as we've had this short reflection, just in this short passage, this short part of the story, our hearts will have been stirred, that we will take time to read of the acts of the Holy Spirit, that we'll remember that we are living in the age of the Spirit, that in a sense we are still part of this story that was begun 2,000 years ago with these disciples. We thank you that your grace brings people together who normally wouldn't have anything to do with each other, that it does bring healing, not just to physical wounds, but the healing of sin-sick souls, of the spirit of fear and of anxiety and of distress and of worry that's so pervasive at this present time. How we long to see lives change, how we long to see beautiful things happen because you are the beautiful one, Lord Jesus Christ. And we worship you in spirit and in truth for your name's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.